Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Good evening and welcome to the Sages Among Us on KVMR. My name is Taylor Wolf, one of your hosts for The Sages Among Us, and my guest tonight is Julie Thornberry, Executive Director of the Food Bank of Nevada County. Julie was raised in Humboldt County, and being a military spouse allowed her to live abroad for almost two decades before returning home to her home state of California. During that time, she received a degree in business management and worked in many facets due to the military lifestyle while also being deeply involved in the community. Julie became focused on nonprofits in 2019 when she accepted a management position at the Food Bank of Nevada County. Her unwavering commitment provided dramatic increases in funding from federal, state, and local governments. Additionally, her efforts helped guide the food bank through an unprecedented time of need during the COVID-19 pandemic. Julie was recently promoted to executive director and remains dedicated to feeding those in need. She has over 20 years of professional experience encompassing office management, financial oversight, and operational leadership. Julie, welcome to the show tonight. Thank you so much for being my guest. How are you doing? Very good. Good. All right. So diving right in, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, So you're from Humboldt County. Tell us what it was like to grow up in the northernest reaches of California. Yeah, so, you know, there's always the joke that um, for the people in the Bay Area that that they live in, in northern California, and then the Sacramento people say that no, this is Northern California, and so I'm going to say no. I lived in Northern California, so um, the land of the big trees. And um, it was more rural than where we live now, so that's how I, and it still is. And so I'm um, a beautiful, beautiful area full of trees and rivers and, and no big cities. So that's really the difference. Perfect, and I think... Uh, We might be having a slight technical issue with the audio right now. I don't believe so. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick. All right. So (laughs) real quick, we're going to get Julie another audio mic and and pick right back up where we left off. Um, so, Julie, welcome again to the show. Let's see. Go ahead and test your mic. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Can we hear me? There she is. <laughs> we can hear her now. Thank you so much. Um, all right. So you grew up in Humboldt County, but we didn't quite get to hear what it was like to grow up in Northern California. So if you don't mind sharing with us again. Sure. Um, I just shared the story of, of the longtime joke about uh people from the Bay Area say they're from Northern California and then people from Sacramento joke, no, we're from Northern California. And then um, I'm going to say, actually, I was from Northern California because it's it's much more Northern and rural, but um, beautiful, beautiful land of the trees and rivers and and there's no cities. And so it it was um, a very uh, easygoing, simple childhood. 
Very nice. And what did you spend your time doing? Did you spend a lot of time outside if there's no cities or what was that like? Yeah, I think everyone there, you know, we did the things that everyone my age say, you know, we rode our bikes and we got to stay out and we walked from place to place, even at night in the dark and um, we fished and, you know, we did all the things. There was no mall. There was nothing like that. So, you know, the closest mall was three hours away. And and so um, we did have a movie theater, though, with a single screen. (laughs) So, um, you know, just just I would say. Say of, of typical, typical Northern California childhood. <laughs> Absolutely, and this is a show about civic engagement. So I'm always inclined to ask: Was there anything or people or family in your childhood that really were engaged in civic engagement and or were civically engaged that started to draw you towards that? I wouldn't say specifically, but again, without coming from more of that that city, even small city atmosphere, we didn't have the same sort of resources available like how we have all the nonprofits here in this county. Um, we didn't even have like an SPCA or um, you know or a food bank. There was not a food bank in in our town, and so you know none of those things. But everybody helped each other. That was, you know, how you grew up was literally if you needed an egg, you knocked on the neighbor's door, you know. So I I would say in that way, everybody was. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice about living in a small town. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, moving just a bit beyond that, you were married um, or had a spouse that was in the military and it had the gave you the opportunity to live abroad and travel a lot. Um, So I'd love to hear about that, like the different places you lived. What was your favorite place traveling and living abroad? So we were very, very fortunate. We did almost the entire time. So um, I married my high school sweetheart and then we moved away and um, because of the military and he ended up retiring after 20 years and we were able to live and travel so many great places. So we lived in... Italy, Germany, Japan, um, the Azores, which are small islands off of Portugal. We also lived in Hawaii and Florida. And so, um, and those are just the places we lived. We were able to travel all through Europe. I was able to go to school, college, traveling through Europe. Uh, what other, I mean, the we were able to travel then on top of that to even more amazing places like Guam and um, uh, England and Paris. And, you know, we've been all these places multiple times and, and we're able to take our kids at a young age, but still able to take our children. And so I would say our most favorite place by far was Italy. And we've been back many times and it's, it's just so amazing just from the North to the South and it's different. And, and it's just one of those experiences. I even um, liked it so much that I ended up naming my daughter Bella because they Mm -hmm. always say ciao Bella. And so um, that's her name. And, she was born in Japan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I bet they were all wonderful, the yeah. places. What an experience. And, okay, I have to ask because Italian food is infamous, right? Is yes. it really yes. that much better? Yes. And I would say it's actually really that much different than, mm-hmm. than here. And I mean, and not just like 
the spaghetti or the pizza you know i mean it's just it's just different there they use the majority of things when they put on the menu is like four ingredients but that also includes the spices mm. so it would be like basil tomato olive oil and maybe garlic Yum. and so yeah so i mean it's it's very um very unique very flavorful just one of those things you forever want to have again so <laughs> that's why you keep going back mm-hmm, to visit mm-hmm. and you you mentioned that you guys actually it sounds like had your kids abroad if some of them if not all of them so ha- tell us about that adjustment because you move back to california later on i mean that's that's a big change for your family and your kids coming back yeah we didn't move back to i would say the mainland until my children were a junior and senior in high school and so um we when we moved from abroad we moved to hawaii which technically still isn't the mainland they they still have their own holidays and and don't have a lot of the same mainland stores and conveniences and so um so when we moved here like i said they were a junior and senior and so there were lots of things that um were new to them still like Dutch Brothers and um, those sorts of things, and so uh, um, I'm sure they could tell tell much uh, funnier stories about adjusting. But it, it was an adjustment, but it was great. I mean, I would not give that up for the world. Just I think that would one of the best ways to raise the our children was abroad. So they got to learn not just about other cultures, but about um, other people and the world becomes so much larger than just your town and mm-hmm. your relatives and you know so I think that introduced both of them to you know long-term civic you know responsibilities and and um, wanting to be a part of it too. Wow and so you you mentioned the mainland so I'm assuming that's Hawaii and did you is that, is that a correct assumption no so here is here? the mainland okay. yeah and Hawaii is its own the so island. yeah it's the island but you know that they consider themselves their their own uh, they don't really say like we're part of the US mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know they refer to themselves as basically independent but you did you mentioned earlier you lived in Hawaii for a little bit and then also I think Florida Mm -hmm. before moving Mm -hmm. back to California yeah so Florida we we actually lived first so Hawaii was the place we lived before moving back to um, California here so we lived there the longest my husband did retire there and so we um the kids were in school and you know and and like i said i actually really think it was a um an ideal place to raise the kids in a, a smaller community and not having to worry about some of these um other big town sort of things and so um yeah i i really enjoyed our time in hawaii yeah um and you you were working on getting your you did get your business management degree too uh, while traveling and abroad, but did you think you'd end up in nonprofit work from all that? No, when I got my degree, there was an option of five degrees at the school I went to because it was an uh, American school um, in Europe, and so at that time. I felt, which it ended up being, it was the most useful of being able to use it in multiple aspects. And so, which I did end up doing 
having moved so many times, that comes with a new job each time. And it allowed me to be able to adapt quickly and to at least know the basics of how businesses are ran. And I would say nonprofits in, in that respect are identical. You know, you still have to um, budget and and have a profit and loss and, you know, all the things that you need to know um, working with people. And, and so it allowed me to be able to work from a thrift store all the way to teaching in school to um, a multitude of different businesses in different um, areas. Wow. So you got all this experience to living abroad, working abroad, going to school abroad, and you settled on nonprofits. Was there, was there a certain moment where you knew this was the path that you had to take in life? So I didn't think of nonprofit that way. We had always been involved through the military. It's its its own community, so everything is, is a fundraiser, a potluck, a... Um, an opportunity to work together and and that's all nonprofit but as far as as a career wise it didn't occur to me so i was in um regular businesses and working for for someone each at each time and um at my last job i was at, at an environmental job and um one day at work there was a unfortunate um incident where a co-worker that I'd known for a couple years um, he ended up dying on the job and it was just one of those really unfortunate accidents not quite like crossing the road but pretty close you know just something that um, no one expected it was so sudden and at that moment literally at that moment I just decided this isn't what I want to be doing anymore. Like if my last day was today, would I be, you know, proud of, of what I was spending the majority of my day doing? And I mean, there was nothing to be ashamed of in it, but it just wasn't something that I felt I was making a difference in, you know, that my children would go on and say, well, you know, she was doing this or, and so I'm um, literally that day, um, I went home, we, as a family, we decided, even the kids being a junior and senior in high school, how difficult that is their whole life, decided that we were going to um, move to California to be closer to family and to um, uh, pursue more of the life that, you know, I envisioned at that moment. And so it, it was definitely a, a life-changing, I mean, as people say, it really was a life-changing moment for me. Yeah, it sounds like it, a whole new direction, a whole mm -hmm. new place to live. Um, so what, what happens next? You come to California. Is that when you came to Nevada County? So, yeah, that part, there was a little bit more convincing um, on my husband's part <laughs> because I, Humboldt County, I knew, wouldn't work for us. It, at that point, after having traveled the world, it was too rural. There wasn't really anything um, as far as uh, career. My husband at the time was a meteorologist, too. So there, there wasn't a whole lot of career opportunities for him, for me. And so... Um, it, he looked into here and he was like it's very similar to home it's within driving distance you know there was a lot of similarities and and so he ended up applying for a job first and getting a job first and then I came out and visited and um I was 
I was convinced after visiting that, you know, it was somewhere I could definitely see us uh, settling down long term. And so we moved in and the kids started school and everything. And then I just waited. I looked for jobs that that spoke to me. And and I figured when the right one came along that, you know, it, it would fit and it would be meant to be. And and I think that's true. I think that's how it worked out. And was that first job at the Food Bank of Nevada County? Yeah, the first, yep, the first one that um, that I, I really, you know, put a lot of effort into getting in and wanted and, and felt that was the direction. And so, um, yeah, I went in for my interview and, and uh, spoke with our previous executive director, Nicole, and, and basically told her the, that same story and the truthful story and that I just wanted to make a difference. And... Um, yeah, and I haven't regretted a day since. And that was in 2019, right? Correct, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. total life change, and not too long ago, really. Yeah, correct. I'd, I'd lived in Nevada County for at least a year at that point. And so, I mean, I really did wait for the you know, the job to that spoke to me to come around. But, yeah, and so, um, and once it did... You know, the rest is history. Yep, the rest and is history. <laughs> here you are as executive director. So um, it sounds like you did kind of find this what you wanted in that dream career, that perfect job. Tell me a little bit more about what it means to do what you do at the food bank and how it impacts people's lives. So I feel like the food bank is and food is just an essential part of everyone's life. I mean, people always say the two main things are food and shelter, but I even think food takes precedence over shelter. And so or housing, you know, we see people in their car living out of their cars. We see people living off the streets. We see people um, who there's eight of them in a single room in the motels. But we also see families and and we and another big one that people don't realize we see a lot of our teens Mm -hmm. teenage kids that are they're called couch surfers um or uh don't have someone you know there for them and so it to me it is it is just vital Uh, every day every day there's a lot of pressure I feel Mm -hmm. like it's a lot of pressure because you know we are the I think the main resource for that and so and people come to us in every situation and every single day even on the weekends of um of their needs of their basic needs of of moms who would be willing to do anything to be able to get food or diapers of of people who pop open the cans as soon as they walk you know as soon as we hand them something you know there's no preference about you know the flavor or the kind it's they're hungry or hand it to their children who are crying and as soon as they get handed the food stop crying you know because they were just literally hungry Mm -hmm. and so um that's a lot that's a lot it means a lot you carry a lot you know and so um uh I feel like it's something that you can't not do. I feel like once the food bank gets in your bones, it, it's there. You know, it's there. And, and that's how our employees are, too, and how we've had employees working at the food bank for so long is that it's the same thing. Sometimes we work in the snow and we work in um, the rain and the fires and, you know, you name it, covid you know, mm-hmm. when it first came out and everyone was unsure and you know what I mean, we did all those things because you cannot go without food. Yeah. When you 
were first applying or first got this job in 2019, did you know it would make this big of an impact on your life and you'd be working in the scenarios and situation and seeing what you see on a day-to-day basis? No. I, I don't think that it would have even been possible. I think that's true for a lot of things, so with, especially with young adults, you know, <laughs> not knowing, you know, the, the, the grasp, the huge impact that you know, sometimes a small choice makes, you mm-hmm. know, and so I, I don't think it, it would have even been possible to know how much it would um, change me. Yeah. Um, off air, before we got on air, you were telling me that your upcoming food drives are normally the biggest ones that you have all year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then also the food bank's current needs, how people can support those? So, yeah, so our biggest food drives happen this time of year. I think a, a lot of it has to do with people are more aware at this time of year. You know, they're out buying their their items for their big meal with their families, which is great. And then they donate, you know, they're like, oh, I'll buy and, you know, donate also, which is, which is great and ideal. Um, our thing is, is we feed the same amount of people all year round. So mm-hmm. not just in November and not just in December. And so the food we get now, we have to, and the donations, the monetary donations we get now, we have to make stretch for about three quarters of the year. And so um, currently it does not. I mean, that's just a, but we still, you know, take advantage of the ones we have coming up as, as much as we can to let everyone know about it, you know, and at that same time, kind of try to add in, you know, this is an all year thing for us. This mm-hmm. isn't just a right now. And there's not more hungry people in November or December. That's the same amount of hungry people. And so, um, uh, so with that, I would like to say, you know what I mean, please, you know, head out. If you see one of our red barrels that says the food bank, you know, please drop something in it. I mean, even if you're getting, you know, a can of beans and they're two for a dollar, you know, one of them for the food bank and one of them for because you definitely will be changing someone's life, impacting someone's life, even if you don't see the end result, I can tell you for a fact it impacts every single can every single dollar every single hour that has been donated impacts someone's life directly not just indirectly directly and you know you mentioned the pandemic and going through that and that you guys were there have you guys seen a change in the the need in the community over the last few years and what does that look like today so we did of of course instantly we saw a big jump because people had to stay home for those first few weeks, month, and um, there was a very large jump, and um, we felt like it was going to be a peak, and then you know, kind of work its way back down. But it it worked its down way down a little bit. But I wouldn't say um, we're never going to go back down to pre-pandemic levels, and things have changed so significantly, and just the way we do things, the way we're to distribute food, we couldn't go back to the way it was before because we would not be able to distribute the food to enough people. So Mm -hmm. the way we distribute it now allows us to feed it to the amount of people that need the food. We could have never done that the way we did it before. So meaning all the, because in a two hour period, we average about serving 700 families. 
in two hours and so and they get a lot of food and if we did it you know we it would be impossible to serve all 700 families in that two-hour time frame if we went back to um, the way things were done pre-COVID. And get a little bit more specific on that for me. Is that the drive-through model that's allowing you to do it so quickly now? Yeah, so the drive-through model, it also allows for us to do, um, I would say, a lot better, more fresh milk, eggs, produce, you know, the things that people are really needing, you mm -hmm. know. Um, it, it also allows us to do more of that also, the drive-through model and it's outdoors but that leads us we're in the 110 or 115 degree heat we're in the when it's pouring torrential rain drenched head to toe where you're literally dripping wet um uh but it allows us to be able to because it takes us sometimes eight to ten truckloads of food to a single two-hour distribution and so mm -hmm. you're moving pallets and pallets and so each one of those truckloads is 12 pallets of food you know what I mean so we're talking that you have people literally you know um, just filling up a car so that and then the you know it's the next car's turn so yeah. so yeah it's that drive-through model and you guys are also you recently got a grant i understand to expand how much food you can store and expand those operations too um will that help you guys meet that community need oh definitely so what it was is it's a capacity grant that we were given that we could only spend the funds on uh, expanding our capacity so we used it on a building so the building next to us so that we could have more space to store more food which then allows us to expand all of our um operations and so we we already have the the building purchased and and we're working on expanding now the so the the biggest thing is is getting enough food to fill it so we mm -hmm. we actually currently don't have the um the extra if you will food to to put in that side of the building and so that's that's the part we're still working on so the funds could only be used on on the actual building of the capacity not the items like itself. food to go in yeah to go into it so how could people help support that cause if they'd want to and where can they go to learn more about the food bank or sign up to volunteer so our website is is very um handy as far as so if you go to the website it will tell you where to get food it will tell you how to get food it will tell you all the different ways you can donate be it um by food by volunteering time there's a, a very very simple volunteer like portal like a button you touch so that you can you know get in touch with us and and see about volunteer opportunities there's a location of events there's a list of where there's barrels to donate food um, our website is is by far the best place to go for all things um, food bank so it's foodbankofnc.org and um, we don't track your information or anything people you know don't usually like that and that's very much understandable it's just for your knowledge there's all mm -hmm. you know there's there's everything you might want to look up for and if not there's a way to contact us to message us to, to answer any questions and um Real quick, if someone does want to donate food, you mentioned eggs and milks and those perishables, but what what type what would you recommend for someone to donate? What we need the most of always is pop top cans. So what it is is like a meal in a can, like chili. Think mm -hmm. chili in a can or raviolis in a can. Um because we feed um that is what has 
grown the most is our vulnerable population that needs those foods that are ready to mm -hmm. eat out of a can. So fruit, meals, pop top cans. And so, and that can be, there's a bunch of stores throughout our community that has a barrel that you can, you can donate those items in. Great. So pop top cans, nutritious if you can. Mm -hmm. Meals, meals, because they're eating them cold straight yep. out of the can. Oh my goodness. All right. Um, how can, you know, you have this story of really switching your life course and getting into nonprofits. How would you recommend others, if they're hearing this and are inspired, get involved in the community or do the same? How do you make that transition? I would say a lot of people try different things. Try you know, definitely you can volunteer someplace and that place might not be the place for you. So we used to volunteer at the SPCA and I love animals, but I, I'm not a big cleaning out a kennel kind of person. <laughs> so you know what I mean? It's it's not the first thing isn't always the best fit, but mm -hmm. I would say definitely try different things because every bit makes a difference. And um, this might be our last question of the night, but you have gotten this great experience over the last couple of years in nonprofits. What have you learned about civic leadership in general and what have been your been your key takeaways? I'd say my key takeaway is people surprise you in a good way. Um, you can ask a lot of someone on behalf of for someone else and um, and they'll do it. They'll mm -hmm. do it. They'll stand in the rain. They'll, you know what I mean, they'll give you their last five dollars. And so um, to me, that is amazing. That is the most amazing. All right. Well, Julie, thank you so much for being my guest tonight on Sages Among Us. For the folks listening out there, you've been listening to Sages Among Us on KVMR, and we have been talking with Julie Thornberry, the executive director of the Food Bank of Nevada County. Discover how you can make a difference by tuning in every Wednesday evening at 630. Thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us and all that you do to make our community a little bit better. And finally, thank you to our awesome engineer, Lori. 